Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Polarizer Podcast. I've been uh, quite excited about this one because uh, I'm, I get to talk to someone whose website I've been reading for over 20 years at this point. It was one of the first things, one of the first websites I really read. It was, it was a website from the beginning of the internet. I'll tell you a little bit about it uh, after I tell you about our wonderful sponsors. This show is brought to you by Alert. A-L-L-E-R-T for food allergies. It's a iPhone app for people who have food allergies and who are traveling in countries where they don't speak the language. Well, you're probably not doing a whole lot of traveling right now because of the whole uh, COVID thing, but that will pass. And when uh, when it passes, I bet uh, you, you want nothing more than the travel. If you have food allergy, this app will help you. What it does, it will translate, it will create a flashcard for the 14 most common allergies that are out there which covers 95 percent of all allergies and it does this in 44 different languages which means it's pretty much the entire world i personally tested this uh, app as i'm allergic to uh, dairy and peanuts all over asia peanuts is uh, is a pretty big thing there and i've been to some pretty remote places there and Every time I showed the output of that app, people got it right away, and I didn't have a single problem. So it really works. You don't need a data collect. You don't need data connection to use it. So if you install it on your phone, take it with you, and it just works everywhere forever. Alert A L L E R T on the iOS App Store. This podcast is also brought to you by Onnit. And one of their flagship products is Alpha Brain. You know those times when you're so into what you're doing that you can't think about anything else? The days when you read half a dozen chapters, re- write a thousand words, or finish a work assignment without looking up once. And when you do, you notice, like, hey, it's only dark outside. The day's almost gone. I've been, I've been working here, and time just kind of went away. And how would you feel like that every day? Well, you can, thanks to Alpha Brain. Psychologists call that feeling of being in the zone flow state. That's the optimal level of consciousness where you can perform at your best. Alpha Brain helps you achieve flow state and supports other aspects of cognitive function for better memory, focus, and mental processing. It can help you remember names and places, focus on complex tasks, think more clearly under stress, and react more quickly. With its trademark ingredient blends, Alpha Brain builds an environment in which the brain can operate on all cylinders and protect its functioning for lasting mental clarity. Learn more about it at Onnit through the link on thepolarizer.com because if you get to Onnit.com through that link, you'll get up to 10% off. I think it was actually 15 at this point. Well, it's either 10 or 15. Like You, you get a nice, nice amount of money off when you uh, place your first order through our affiliate link on thepolarizer.com. And if you don't like if you don't like it, you just get your money back. You don't even have to send it back. That's how much they trust their product. So go to thepolarizer.com and click the link on the website to go to onnit.com or use the promo code Polarizer on checkout to get that uh, to get that little discount. And finally, if you go to thepolarizer.com, you'll see an Amazon button there. And if you click on that, you'll land on Amazon just like you always do. But the only difference is, if you place your order, we get a little kickback on that order. It doesn't cost you anything extra, 
Uh, Amazon just pays us a little bit every time we place an order after landing on Amazon through our website because we brought you to them. That's basically how it works. It comes out of Amazon's end, so your price doesn't change. So next time you're ordering anything on on Amazon, just uh, go to polarize.com first and click on the link there to get to Amazon. And while you're on the polarizer.com, sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an episode. I send out an email every time I put out a new podcast episode, once every month, once every two months, so you will never get any spam. And that list is free, so why not? Polarize.com, sign up for the newsletter. My guest today is Dinosaur David B., as he's called on, on the website. He's the, he's a site host and editor of DinosaurRockGuitar.com. And this website, like I said in the beginning, is one of the first things I I found on the internet, really. It's uh, it's a website from the dial-up days. They recently had their 20th anniversary, and it's basically an encyclopedia of the biggest guitar heroes that ever lived. And it contains these very well-written profiles of, of legendary guitar players like Jimmy Page and Slash and many others. And it was a delight to talk to him about music. Uh, David is a, has a wealth of information on this subject. And uh, I had an awesome time. And if, you, if you're a fan of rock music and heavy rock guitar, this podcast is for you. So enjoy, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome everybody, welcome to the Polarizer Podcast, and welcome Dave, Mr. Dave, Dave Barron. Hey, hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on, and you are the the originator, I should say, of a website I've visited uh, for a long time, I, I know it from the, the dial-up internet days, it's called uh, dinosaurrockguitar.com. And what mostly attracted me to it was the guitar alchemy, which are these profiles that are uh, very well written on on many of my uh, favorite guitar heroes. And I discovered some new favorites uh, through this website too. And um, you know, it was my early teens back then, and, and I was interested in the guitar. And you know, I knew I knew some cool. I got some cool CDs. From my uncle, he was a big music fan, and when the internet came around, I just went on the web and Googled, or back then it was probably, um, what's, what was the dog again, the name oh, of that? Oh, God, yeah. That's it was right. before Google. search engines, yeah. It was uh, Alta Vista, you had... Uh, yeah, y- Alta Vista was one of them. Yahoo. I'm <laughs> testing my memory now. Yeah. Yeah. Back but when we had Netscape browsers and Net- stuff like that, yeah. Netscape Navigator. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And uh well, I landed on this website Dinosaur Rock Guitar and um yeah, there's there's all these legendary guitar players that are classified by different dinosaurs and um well, you you made that site. Why don't you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah. So, um the site started in I believe November of 1999, and last November we just celebrated our 20th anniversary of being a, a website and a forum for 20 years. Um, well, congratulations! 
Thank you. Uh, it, it, when I look back at the things I've done in my life, uh, it, it, it sort of is kind of shocking that this little website I put together 20 years ago with just, you know, when I first started a few pages of content would end up being sort of like so significant in terms of impacting my life, in terms of the people I've met through the website and, and become lifelong friends with and things like that. But it came out of, an, of this idea at that time, I had taken some hiatus off from playing and I was getting back into playing and I was trying to find people who liked the same kind of guitar style that I like, which is heavy rock, melodic metal, uh, that was popular from, say, uh, you know, the late 60s through, say, the arrival of Yngwie Malmsteen. Um, that period where, you know, guitar heroes walked the earth uh, in great abundance. And they were, you know, encompassing all of the, you know, the the wonder of the raising of the bar during the early 80s with Van Halen and people who were his contemporaries, where everything became very guitar-centric. And what had happened was, you know, that period came, that period went, people started getting, in, you know, the hair metal thing, and then the um, all of that stuff started to become unfashionable again. And a lot of people who were playing that style of music started switching to, like, doing Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of blues and they were turning in their marshals and they were turning in, you know, their, their, uh, their heavy metal gear to, you know, buy, you know, strats and matchless amplifiers and Stevie Ray Vaughan hats. And a lot of that was going on. And there was sort of a, a rebellion against that among a certain class of us players who just said, look, no offense to Stevie Ray Vaughan. I think everybody can agree he was a wonderful player and we like his work, but that's not what we want and that's not where we want to live and that's, you know, we still, you know, come from this other background of, you know, a more dramatic form of music where, uh, you know, we had all of these glorious players at one time and we, have, we still have some of them, which is great. But the, the thing was, I was looking for people who were like me. And I was going on web forums like the Fender Forum and trying to talk about Richie Blackmore and trying to talk about, you know, Gary Moore when he was still a rocker and trying to talk about these guys. And most of them were all into things like, you know, David Gilmore, uh, Mark Knopfler, all of these guys who were not playing in that sort of style. Eric Clapton on a Strat, not Cream era. Eric Clapton, who was really fiery, but like... So it was two different guys, those two. It was, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So that forum was like, you know, I'd I'd find one or two people who were like, yeah, we love Richie Blackmore. Yeah, we love Jeff Beck. We love, you know, we love this heavier stuff. But, you know, it was a small percentage of people on that forum who were really into that style of music and the other, you know, the other players of of that genre. So, you know, at that time, it was sort of like... You know, you take that that sort of notion, if you build it, they will come. Uh, It's the old quote from the movie. And I built a tiny little website with a forum and a couple of pages of content, basically sort of to try and, you know, find folks like me who wanted to, you know, talk about and still play this style of music that, you know, I said, as I said, it's sort of 70s heavy rock and early 80s melodic metal 
that kind of thing. And I built it, and they came. And one of the things that drew them in, it really did become the bait, were these alchemy profiles that you mentioned. What it is is I would break down – I didn't write – all of them, but I edited all of them so that they all sort of have a similar feel and everything. But I wrote like 95% of them about all of the guitarists who were stylistically important to this genre. And it would be a pretty fairly exhaustive enterprise. And back then, you know, we were still thinking in, in terms of like text you know, write everything in text. Don't, you know, you know, the idea of showing a video at the bottom of the page was sort of like, Oh yeah, we should probably try and do that too. But you know, the idea was this was still a text based world at that time in 1999. It's not that they didn't have videos online and and all that stuff, but for the most part, when I would do interviews with, with players and name players and things like that, I would always write them out in supposed to what we're doing right now where you're going to have, you know, a video of me actually talking to you, I would be transcribing that in those days. Right. But it's right. all so, very, very well written. So it's, uh, you know. Well, I am, a, I am a writer by profession. Um, in my real life, I am uh, that makes a technical sense. writer. Yeah, I'm a yeah. technical writer. I have uh, a background in professional writing. I wrote for magazines. I've written, you know, for, uh, you know, journalistic kinds of things before. So I have a strong background in writing. So I had an idea of the kinds of, of things I wanted to cover when I was designing these things. And what I found was I could, you know, I could spend, it typically took about 12 hours at least to do one of these profiles. I believe that from like listening to the music to sort of like taking your notes and saying, okay, what's he doing on this particular thing? What, what are, what I, what do I hear across this player's, work that are common trademarks of what he, you know, you know, his style, what are these things? So, it'd be, you know, you'd spend a lot of time listening and then writing it down as notes. And then I created sort of a format that was almost a template of how I wanted to organize each of these, uh, these articles based on this player's strengths, their weaknesses, their influences, their style, all of these kinds of things. And, um, you know, nowadays people will, will demonstrate this stuff in YouTube, but my medium was always words. And uh, the more of these I ended up putting up on the website, the more people I attracted because people were starting to look, you know, they would start to search for players they liked and they would start to find the hits coming from my website. And, you know, they could learn, you know, they'd read about some player that they liked and they, you know, they'd learn something or they'd at least agree with what I wrote in most cases. There were, you know, occasionally people would would say, I don't, you know, agree with that. But for the most part, everyone was, you know, saying, this is great. We really like what you did here. Uh, How do I join your forum? That was, and that was sort of how the website started and grew. These alchemy profiles that you're talking about, they're still up. They're a little dated now. Um, I try to update them a little bit, but I don't. I'm not like super serious about keeping them completely up to date. Oh, a lot, a but, lot of uh, these uh, profiles. I don't think. I mean, I like Jimi Hendrix's profile. You don't need to update that one. I mean, no, but somebody like Vivian Campbell, who was missing in action for 20 years, finally goes back and starts playing Dio songs again <laughs> after Ronnie dies. Right. Right. You know. Oh. Well, well, you know, he hasn't played like this in, in forever. Jakey e. Lee, another guy, no one's heard, heard him 
for 20 years. He was out of the picture. No one even knew how to find him, where to, where to look for him or anything. All of a sudden, he comes back. He starts playing again. And now he's got a new band, of course. And it's like, okay, so I need to like, maybe make an update, right? right and right. say, oh, he's back. Some of this stuff, because I used to, you know, some of these people, I tried to also poke fun at them where I felt it was warranted. Yeah, uh, there's, to, there's to, some... to, you know, it's not, it's, it's, I, I tried to make it, you know, a little edgy, but also not like I wasn't going at them full bore. Right. Um, but it was, you know, it's like I would call them out for, you know, I called Eric Clapton out for, for never playing like he played in Cream again, you know, and, well, and things that's, like that's that. That's a good you point, know. you know. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I wrote, we ended up with, I forget how many of these we have total. It's, it's, it's quite it's a lot. a fair amount. It's, I want to say something like approaching 60 of them. Yeah. And um, I had some, at that time I had, back then I had some people working with me who were sort of like admins on the site and they would, they would also write some if they felt strongly about them. But they, even when they were writing them, they were working very closely with me to make sure it captured the same sort of voice and spirit of, of the thing. And they'd say, oh, well, this guy's got this, this, and this. And I would say, yeah, but you forgot this and that. You got to add that too. And they were like, oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot that, you know. And so it was a collaborative effort on a small portion of them. But for the most part, I wrote them. And like I said, I made sure that when I edited them, they flowed as, as they would. And for anyone who's interested, you go to dinosaurrockguitar.com and click on Alchemy, and you can see they're sorted alphabetically, and you can see who we've got, what, you know, what, you know, what we've written about them. And I'm an analytical person by nature, so yeah. I am very much, you know, as a musician and as a guitarist, when I hear people I, who's playing I like, I try to pick it apart and see why I like it and, you know, why it works, why what they're doing works, why it speaks to me, and what can I steal from it? <laughs> so it's it's basically those kinds of things whether it's you know something about a technique something about a, a sound you know that's how uh i tend to digest music and and you know instrumentalists and people like that and uh, so that's how that came about um and like i said they, they've been there for a while they still draw people to the site how many visitors uh, do you get per week you know, I haven't looked at the stats in quite a long time. I bet it's quite um, a few, man. There's there's a lot of, you know, I think Google still likes good texts, you know? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I can tell you that over the 20-year period, I think our peak of, of engagement was around 2008. And uh, since then, it's sort of tapered off again. And it's it's mostly now a a forum for people who already know each other. We don't get too many new requests anymore. Um, back in the day, I had seen what had gone on at, at, at websites that grew too large too fast and became flame wars and all of oh, that. Yeah. And, I, and I was determined to not let that happen to my site, even if it meant it was going to be smaller. Because I'm not really trying to sell anything here. I'm not, I'm not this is like, this is not about, me making a business out of this. I've turned down the opportunity in the past to put advertising on the site. I, I don't I don't think for the amount of money it would put in my pocket, it's worth cluttering up the site right. with a bunch of advertising. So I've kept it clean, I've kept it pure and as such, you know, there are 
there are consequences to to that sort of uh, mentality where we didn't grow by leaps and bounds. We we grew for a while and then it settled down. And people sometimes people come and go and they, you know we don't, they you know they don't post for several years and then they come back. That's fine, um, but it's a small community of people who genuinely now sort of know and care about each other and uh, inter- have been interacting with each other in many cases for many years. That's cool. And yeah. Wh- where, where did the dinosaur part come from? For some reason, it, it's appropriate for rock, but I don't know why. But it, yeah. it, sounds, it just so, sounds like it fits. <laughs> yeah, it does. And um, you go back to when I was talking about when I was trying to find people like myself. And I would go to go to local jams in my area, uh, which at that time was Boston. And um, I'd try to find guys who wanted to play heavy rock or, you know, or melodic metal. And they didn't want to do it. And they just, you know, they wouldn't do it. And, you know, I'm trying to get them to play something by Black Sabbath or something by Rainbow. And it's like, no, let's do Sissy Strut again. Let's do Hey Joe again. And I'd just be like, oh, God. <laughs> not this again. And I, and I was taught and I was like bitching about this to a friend of mine. And he said, you can't go to those jams. He said, you don't, he said, those people don't understand. You're a dinosaur. You, they, they don't understand you. They don't understand that you're a dinosaur. And I started thinking about that. You're right. I'm a dinosaur in that respect. How do I make that a, a positive term rather than a negative connotation? Right. So I started thinking about that. Yeah, I'm a dinosaur. I, my, when I plug in a guitar, I want to rip your head off. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, you know, I want to I roar loud and be bold and everything. And I started, started gelling this concept that like, okay, when you're generally called a dinosaur in music, it's not a good thing. It's generally a bad connotation. It's, you know, you're dated. But it's like, what if we take this as a badge of honor and make it a point of pride that we still want to play like this and we still think there's value in this sort of guitar style and this sort of music? So I embraced it rather than, you know, pushing it away and try to sort of think, how can I make this cool? Everybody likes dinosaurs anyway from the time you're a kid. Right. So um, I took that name and I took and I, and I started building up some of that folklore of like, what can I do to to sort of, you know, run with this idea? And part of that is like, you know, we, we designed this logo. Yeah, it's a cool logo with it with, you know, with a T-Rex playing a flying V. <laughs> and, uh, you know. It's, you know, it started to really sort of take shape and um, we we started looking at the players in the alchemy profiles. I did. And I started thinking, you know, we could classify these these players, as you said, by different kinds of dinosaurs and stuff, because dinosaurs lived for a zillion, you know, a zillion years over, de- def- you know, different periods you had cretaceous you had jurassic you had triassic periods these are millennia over over millions and millions of years and the classes of dinosaurs changed and i i realized that it wasn't necessarily fair to compare somebody like um leslie west with someone like eddie van halen right or or someone you know like um Steve Lukather or George Lynch or somebody who had, you know, a different level of facility on the instrument. 
How do you, you know, how do you compare a Pete Townsend to a Paul Gilbert? Yeah, they're doing be, completely. Yeah, they're, they're doing completely different things. Yeah, and it's it's. I'm not making a value judgment that one is better or worse than the other. Yeah, that's um, the, that's but, endless discussions you sometimes hear. Like, one person says, "Well, I'm a I'm a fan of Jimmy Page," and another guy says, "Well, I'm a, I'm a fan of um, what's the guy from uh, Dream Theater." Um, John Petrucci. Yeah, yeah, John Petrucci. Yeah, he's he's way faster and and more accurate. Well, yeah, that's so what? true. But, Where, where's his know, cashmere? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so it, it you know I I'm a fan of both of those guys. I'm a fan of of Pete Townsend and a fan of Paul, Paul Gilbert for completely different reasons. And by the way, Paul Gilbert's a huge Pete Townsend fan, um, <laughs> and um, and a huge Jimmy Page fan for what it's worth. Uh, so it all. It depends on what you value in someone's playing, you know. And there are players who, you know, we all seem to agree on at my forum. And there are others that most of them, there are people that we don't particularly care for. And then there are guys where it's like, you know, a segment likes them, a segment doesn't get it or whatever. But anyway, the point was I started thinking of this in terms of like, okay, the guys who were in the 60s, like the first four big names who are always – Hendricks, Beck, um, Page, and Clapton. This yeah. style of music goes back to those four guys. Okay? It doesn't go back as far as Keith Richards. He's not a lead player in that respect. It doesn't go back as Pete Townsend. He's not a lead player in that respect. The real, for, for like what we, were ta- what we are talking about, is the first loud, technically proficient lead players. Yeah. Like the guys who in rock. blow your head right. off. Right. Yeah. With with tone and with technique and it's those four first four guys. So I started thinking about that. I started thinking, okay, well, Hendrix and Clapton are in their in that era of the late sixties, they're not really metal yet. No. They're sort of like psychedelia and volume and um you know, for its time, brilliant chops. Yeah. So that's sort of like proto. It's it's not it's not you know when you see these these things like you know these big tables of all the genres of metal and stuff like that that the guy does uh, such a great job I can't remember his name the guy who does the um, the videos the documentaries and he he classifies all these different genres those guys to me and Pete Townsend Pete Townsend was the first guy to really be loud and to really embrace feedback and to really embrace you know. The concept of really wanting to sonically destroy his audience <laughs> with 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 loud, obnoxious, you know, not just sounds, but playing with feedback, playing with distortion in ways that we hadn't heard prior to that. So I'm thinking these guys to myself is like I can classify these as like if I'm going to make this analogy, these would be our earliest dinos. All right. So those okay. are the. Let's see. I- so. If you want to look it up, I can't remember what he called it, but it's like I, I put them in one class. Sauropods. Is that the one? Yeah. Or that, no, no, no hold think, on. Those are the dinosaur rock guitar players who are primarily rhythm players. Yeah. I'm, I'm, on right. the, I'm on the dinosaur page now. Yeah, you're, you have the, uh, the legend there, as it were, the key. All right, you got Triurassic, yeah. Jurassic, and uh, let's see, Crete. Cretaceous. I don't know. Cretaceous. 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 Oh my god! I messed it up. Anyway, so so Uh, like you know you do you you learn something here too. So I mean it's like little little natural history for your uh, (laughs) for your for your side dish, if you will. But um, 
you know, it was just sort of a way of sort of classifying them so that you, you understand that like this group have these qualities in common, this other group have these qualities in common. Um, you know, you get past Hendrix, Clapton, um, Beck and Page, and you get into guys like, you know, Iommi and Blackmore, um, you know, everything that this site really goes back down to of the style of music that we are always talking about generally goes back to Zeppelin, Sabbath and Purple. Right. Those are really the start of the glory era of what we're talking about. Yeah. And so, you know, I made those guys, all three of those guys are like T-Rexes because they're like, you know, (laughs) really the, you know, the progenitors of this whole style of music. And and then you got into like the late 70s and guys who were raising the bar with technique, whether it was Uli Roth or Michael Schenker and later Van Halen and, um, you know, guys like that. You know, I, I put them in a different class because they were they were, you know, clearly better lead players in some respects because they were, you know, taking it a little further. Right. In terms of in term and I don't want, I don't want to be clear here technical ability not in terms of like the quality of i mean you know of what they played it's like but just in terms of yeah a different level of technique they brought something different to the table in in terms of yeah in terms of guitar technique i'm not yeah. you know you you can make that case that you know they had better technique than a jimmy page tartar make that case against blackmore blackmore had plenty of technique but uh but you know generally speaking this is not this was not a uh it's not a contest or anything. It's right. And it's, it's not like super black and white. And it's, it's, it's just like sort of a, a fun way to sort of think of the classification going back to using the concept of, of embracing the name of dinosaur rock guitar and stuff like that. Yeah. It's not serious. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not something worth arguing over with people. It's nothing like that. It was just sort of like a fun way to sort of try and classify for people who didn't know, for people who were coming. It's like, you know, how do I, how, who, who are Akira Takasaki's peers? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's not Eric Clapton, you know. So who were the, what were the first guitar players who you wrote profiles on? Um, what I don't remember what order I did them in. I mean, there may be some indication on the copyright line of when I did them, but um, I think the first ones I did work on were the most important guys, like like Page, Blackmore, and Iommi. All right, and um, and from there I started stretching out into the guys who meant most to me, who I could, who I knew their, I knew their stylistic trademarks inside and out so i didn't have to go back and do a lot of research so because i knew it inherently like like gary moore and michael schenker and people like that who i was listening to all the time and who were huge influences on my own playing i knew how to write their profiles without having to do a ton of extra research there were other people who i didn't listen to that frequently or that carefully who i had to actually sit and go back and say "I, i need to actually do some serious listening before i write this so I know what I'm talking about. But those were some of the first ones, yeah. Cool. So, and what would you, uh, so I can tell it's written by someone who likes music, who loves music and who's a musician himself and that, that would kind of, that was what drew me to the site. I think I found it probably after Googling Slash because he was yeah. my inspiration for picking up the guitar. 
And yeah. um, as I was reading it, I was like, oh man, yeah, he is really that cool. And I, I agreed with everything I read there. And that's where I kind of went further down the rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. His was one I actually did have to update later because over time, Slash is one of the few people who got better. Yeah. He's, he's a better player now than he was when Appetite for Destruction landed. He, he has been constantly working on his, on his playing. He has embraced, uh, you know, the, the influence of his Michael Schenker influence is now much easier to pick up in his, his more recent playing than it was back then. Back then, he was, when, when he first burst onto the scene, you got to understand people who are older than you, like me, we had seen pretty much everything Slash was doing in Aerosmith already. Right. And, you know, to a degree, you know, you get, you know, you get Guns N' Roses, you get a very heavy Aerosmith influence combined with sort of a punk influence. Right. Well, and, I, I, you know, I, I was a Guns N' Roses fan first, and then I also got into sure. Aerosmith, and I always, you know, I, I I really listened to all their albums, and I liked the early ones the best. Sure. But, yeah, I, I did find Guns N' Roses a better overall band, but that's, of course, personal taste, but I'm not sure if you agree or disagree with that. I think Guns N' Roses was one of those classic cases where, they had they got too much success too soon, right. and it, it sort of it sort of destroyed the band. For it didn't last very many, long. Yeah, yeah. So and you're comparing so you're comparing, you know, a small number of releases to Aerosmith's catalog. Where if you compare, you know, if you start looking at Aerosmith post rocks, they're starting to fall apart. The drugs are starting to show up in the musical quality. Right. Um, until you know, so by the time you get to draw the line and um, you know, night in the ruts, you're talking about a band that's nowhere near what they were when they were hitting on all cylinders. Right. And you know, so it, you know, you're comparing a catalog that's this this big to a catalog that's maybe this big, and you're saying, well, Guns N' Roses is at that level for their whole thing, and but you know, if they did if they had stayed together and had you know all of their drug problems while they were still a band, you know, you may have seen the quality drop off. I mean, we're not talking about Chinese democracy here, right? <laughs> so, what, um, what's your opinion on that album? Uh, I, I think you know, you know, that's one of those things where it's just like you know sort of an example of madness and an example of, of being so up your own ass for so long without, you know, without any checks and balances of, of people saying, you know, snap out of it, you know, right. you know, it's, it's, you know, I listened to that when an album came out, I listened to it once or twice just to, to make sure I was like, sure that I was like not interested in it at all. Hmm. So uh, that said, I think some of Slash's Snake Pit stuff is really good. Yeah. And I think some of the stuff, I'm not a huge Miles Kennedy fan, but I think some of the music he's been putting out under the name Slash uh, has been really good. And like I said, he is a better, more facile player now than he was in 1987, 88. Right. And, you know, so I did go back and, and mention that in his profile years later that, you know, he never stopped learning. He never stopped practicing. He kept going. He kept getting better. I admire that because there's, um, there's not a lot of people you can say that about. Hmm. 
yeah. most of these guys have lost something. And, you know, and, and, you know, in the best case scenario, they've stayed the same. But how many of these people that, you know, we revered actually, excuse me, progressed over time? Hmm. Yeah. Not, and got not better. A, yeah, not many. I mean, Jeff Beck did. Jeff Beck's a much better and much more interesting player now than he was when he was in the Yardbirds. And, yeah, and I never really got into Jeff Beck solo stuff. I mean, instrumental rock is kind of, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, you got to either like it or you don't. And I mean, yeah. I, if I listen Even to it, the, I admire it, but I can't, I have a hard time just kind of rocking out to it and it doesn't make me want to drive faster, you know? <laughs> no, it's not that kind of music yeah. um, for the most part. Uh, but if you look at it from a, a, a pure guitaristic sort of standpoint, everyone over a certain age um, will rightfully or wrongfully tell you that the greatest thing that ever happened to guitar is Jimi Hendrix and no one ever took it any further than Jimi Hendrix. Well, that's not true post-1980. Jeff Beck took it further. Jeff Beck is doing things on guitar that Hendrix couldn't have dreamed of. Um, and this is not a slag on Jimi Hendrix, but the man died. Okay. So Jeff Beck kept playing. Jeff Beck dropped the pick and started using all of his fingers and getting these different tones and these different techniques. And he's really created a unique guitar style that is purely him. Yeah. And it's, it's way advanced. I mean, you, you know, if you're a guy who just plays with a pick, you can't do that stuff. Right. And it's, it's, um, it's a remarkable use of the instrument in a, in a completely original way yeah. that is, in my opinion, leagues beyond anything what Hendrix did on the instrument. Now, Hendrix was a way better songwriter than Jeff Beck. Hendrix's music, you could argue, is more accessible than Jeff Beck's music. But, but just from the, posi from sure, the position yeah. of, like, of like advancing guitar to a level that no one else is approaching um it's not so much his left hand and speed and stuff like that it's about sonics it's about creating you know different dynamics with the instrument and um all of this stuff that he manages to get between if you ever watch him play it, it's you know watch him live and you see what he does with the guitar where he's constantly got the whammy bar in under his hand and he's working the volume knob with his pinky and he's <laughs> plucking the strings with these fingers and the left hand is not doing anything specifically difficult. But what he manages to coax out of that instrument sonically is completely different than, you know, these guys who can shred like nothing, like Petrucci and John Gilbert, excuse me, Paul Gilbert. Those guys are um, wonderful in a different way. Right. But, we, but, you know, it, at a certain point, we all look at Jeff Beck and we go, oh, my God, how is he doing that? The intonation all of this stuff that is just uniquely him. Okay. So, I mean, I could play you, you know, I could show you a zillion people you've never heard of playing Paul Gilbert licks. Right. Right. And playing them as well or as fast. And you're all, you know, there's, there's nine year olds on YouTube doing it. It's, it's fairly, it's a fairly mechanical robotic thing to get that, but no one's doing what Jeff Beck's doing right. with guitar. It's, and um, what's a did he uh, what's a good example of another famous player that that was clearly inspired by him? Gary Moore uh, was inspired by him. 
uh, also by Hendrix, also by Peter Green. Um, Steve Lukather, huge, huge Jeff Beck fan. Um, you don't hear it so much in his playing uh, directly. Um, Joe Perry, big Jeff Beck fan. I think, I think all of the guys that we talk about, I, I don't think there's anyone... Dave Gilmore is a huge Jeff Beck fan. Jimmy Page is a huge Jeff Beck fan. Um, now, you're talking about other guitarists, and you're talking about, you know, you didn't personally, it didn't speak to you musically, and I understand that because some of it is very jazzy. Right. And, and he typically writes with other people because he's not a writer. But it's kind, so, of, it's kind of the same with um, guys like... Um, God, what's the guy's name? Who who wasn't who did the solo albums with uh, David Lee Roth? Um, Steve Vai. Steve Vai, yeah, Steve Vai, and um, um, the guy who taught him. I don't know why the names are slipping me. Oh, now. Satriani. Yeah, Satriani. Yeah. And those two guys. Whenever I listen to their music, I'm it, it blows my mind how quick they are. And you know, I I, I tried. I mean, I looked at the sheet music a couple times and try to play along and even if at half speed it was like oh my god it's no way i'm gonna ever keep up with those guys and when i listen to it i, I just it it just impresses me and i I could never touch it personally but it, it uh, but do you enjoy it more than acdc uh, no <laughs> so there you go yeah i mean th that's really sort of the question it's like so this is another thing that we always we we tend to talk about at my website anyway it's like there is stuff that impresses your brain and there is stuff that like reaches south of your belt and, and says, makes you want to throw your fist in the air yes. and rock out. Yeah. Okay. And, and the best guys can do both. Right. All right. The best guys will give you that visceral, oh yeah, I love this song. I love this riff. It, it moves me. And yet, when you get to the part where they need to impress you technically, they do that too. Eddie Van Halen right? is one of those guys for me. He's, he's one of those guys that, for me personally, and I know this is blasphemous, as wonderful as he is, his lead style doesn't really do much for me. It's really? a little bebop-ish. I appreciate it, but I prefer things a little more melodic and a little bit more... Uh, Sexual, if you will, in terms of it, the, its its impact and its its ability to, uh, you know, coax other emotions out of me. It's I'm not I'm not trying to rag on it. I'm just saying, for all of the wonder stuff that he does, it doesn't have an emotional impact on me like some other players' styles do. Doesn't mean I don't love Van Halen. I do, um, but. To me, he's not a particularly uh, satisfying melodic player. And what um, would be and, um, like someone who would do both of those? Uh, Michael really? Schenker. Uh, for, okay. Yeah. Somebody like that. Michael Schenker uh, is wonderfully melodic. Everything he plays is melodic. He's got great chops as well. It's it's. Uh, and I'm, when I'm talking about Shanker, I'm not talking about the last bunch of years. I'm talking about when he was in his prime from like 1974 to 84, when he was really creating masterful solos that had, you know, 
that really told a story that had a beginning, a middle, and an end. What's and a good ex- that? Uh, what's a good example? Anything from that? Anything from that era? Uh, listen to uh, the solo in um, Lost Horizons. Listen to the solos uh, on his first two solo albums, um, and most of the UFO stuff. Um, there are there are tons of examples in that period. He doesn't play that way anymore. He still has all of the technical ability, but he used to compose solos that had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm. And they really they had it was like a song within a song. It it you know it had an arc like a song has an arc. Right. Okay. And to me, that was more influential on my playing personally than Eddie, who was just sort of like you know grooving along like a horn player almost. <laughs> You know, he was very influenced. Eddie was very influenced by Alan Holdsworth, who was very influenced by a sax player named John Coltrane, who, you know, Holdsworth would take John Coltrane's saxophone solos and transcribe them for guitar, and he'd learn how to play them on guitar. Oh, wow. And then, and then Eddie responded very much to that. But, I mean, you're talking about bebop jazz now. Right. And it's, it's a... It's one of those things where it either connects with you or it doesn't, whether you're getting it from Eddie or if you're getting it from Holdsworth or you're getting it from John Coltrane. Isn't, um, isn't Holdsworth the guy who has like the, the weird guitar without a headstock? Like the, yeah, he had one of them. I mean, that wasn't always his guitar, but I mean, towards the end, he had something like that. I think and, I looked, and by the way, yeah, he was I, a brilliant player, but I mean, again, the music isn't like, it isn't like accessible for the masses. It's for guitar geeks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I you know? looked him up based off that uh, Eddie Van Halen profile, and and you know he's yeah. he's playing with a jazz band, and he's doing these amazing. He's not a rock player. No, yeah, he's not a rock player. There's a lot of great players yeah. out there who are not rock players, but you know, the focus of of the guitar style that we have always revered at at our site, um, you know, another guy like uh, like that who plays brilliantly melodically and is is ridiculous chops as well as Uli Roth uh, who used to be in the Scorpions and now has a, a solo career uh, for for a long time and if I look away I'm looking at my second screen well I have the website fine. up here so I'm kind of but reading I mean, yeah there's lots of these people um, you know Gary Moore's solos when he was a rock player were always ridiculously wonderful they you know he was a guy who also injected such intensity into everything he played, every note he played. And his, his solos were compositional. They, 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 too, had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And he'd usually try to end on some kind of a high note, a crescendo, or something like that. And to me, like I said, that, that resonated more with my personal style of how I approach guitar than somebody like Eddie, who was certainly much more... Um, I guess experimental and jazzy and willing to do things that were just, you know, they were certainly less conventional. Right. Oh, what, what attracted me to Eddie Van Halen is because it's also got a lot of humor. His playing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's a lot of that too. And, you know, Steve Vai gets a lot of that from, from Eddie and from Frank Zappa working with Frank Zappa. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of humor in their styles and that's, I think that's a wonderful thing. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to say I don't, you know, I don't like Van Halen. I do, but I'm just saying he was never like a guy who 
who's playing I, I wanted to emulate. Right. I appreciate it, but it wasn't what I wanted to, wasn't in the direction of, of where I wanted to go. There were other players who were his contemporaries who I enjoyed more. So, who is your uh, favorite player of all time, if you can pick one? It's very hard to pick one. I th- and, and again, you, you, we, I have to sort of break it out in sort of a, uh, again, the question is, for what particular aspect are we talking about? Right. So, like I said, if I, if I really want to be honest um, and want to say, you know, what do I want to achieve as a guitarist, as a musician, as a producer? I want to achieve what Jimmy Page achieved. Right. I, want to, I want to write the songs myself. I want them to be great songs. I want to play them myself. I want to produce them in the studio myself, you know, and, and have total creative control over everything. And um, I don't think anybody's songs are better than theirs. I think, you know, there are other bands that are, I, I love equally, but I don't think anyone's songs were better. I don't think anyone's compositions were better. I think most of his choices were marvelous. Uh, I think his lead playing was marvelous, even when it was sloppy. So I've, I, like I said, I go back to Jimmy Page. I go back to Tony Iommi. I go back to Richie Blackmore for a lot of the foundation of the style of music I enjoy most and what I like to play most. And that's compositionally. But if I want to talk about lead style, particular lead style, just lead style, um, the guys I've always had at the top of my mountain are Gary Moore and Michael Shankart. And neither of them are the songwriters that Page is, that Iommi is, that Blackmore is. You know, they're, they're, their lead style is, is the most exciting to me. Right. So that aspect of their playing is where I sort of like, that's what I pursued in my own style. That sort of style of having, you know, a, li- a lot of melodicism, a lot of balls, uh, work on my vibrato to make sure that that's tasty as hell. And, you know, those kinds of things were like, those are the things I learned from those guys. I learned different things from different guys. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there who I've like, I've stolen this from that one. I've stolen that from that one. You know, I like this Jimi Hendrix voicing of this chord. I like that Jakey e. Lee voicing of that chord. You know, it, you know, you, you, you sort of assimilate the best of what it is that turns you on and it becomes your own style because of the way you mix it together. Right. Yeah. And, and there's, um, yeah, you, you mentioned, uh, Jimmy Page and I, I think, um, yeah, I still haven't met anyone who likes rock music who doesn't just default back to Led Zeppelin as an example. Like, Hey man, that's, that's where it all, oh, all yeah. really I mean, started. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, my wife has often said, I don't trust anyone who doesn't like the Beatles. And I feel, and we both, and we, and we, my wife would actually agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, how can you not like the Beatles? What, what do you, what planet are you living on? It's like, and it's to a degree, that's also true of Led Zeppelin. And it's like, how can you not like this? If you, if you appreciate anything. Um, and I know, and I, I have friends I know who are not huge Zeppelin fans, but you know, well, it's difficult to get into. It's, it's not that accessible, I think. I thought it was pretty accessible. I mean, well, the, the, I mean the, the thing I've, I've, I've often heard, and it was also, by the way, it was true of Rush as well. Uh, sometimes the singer turns you off. 
Yeah. Okay. It was certainly true of Rush in a lot of respects. But it was also true people did in the early days, they weren't expecting Robert Plant's voice. They, they yeah. weren't expecting anything like that. And um, I think there are people who just don't respond to that. And or they're scared of it maybe, which is valid. Maybe. <laughs> or they find it, or they find it great or whatever it is. And then there were the people who said, oh, you know, Jimmy Page, he's sloppy and then blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's not the point. Uh, it, it, it's not about everything doesn't have to be clean and pristine all the time. There's a lot of this. It's about attitude. It's about mood. It's about ideas. And it's about, you know, more than that, you know, constructing complex arrangements and, you know, tracking multiple guitar parts to, to create a canvas that is, uh, much more deep. And, you know, like I said earlier, if you if you just you know if you Google what Paul Gilbert has said about Jimmy Page, you'll you know you'll be astounded. It's like you know everybody of that era they sort of revere him, as did I, um, and uh, you know a, a, remarkable achievements in so many areas of of like not just guitar work but also in composition, in production. He was a, a very early pioneer. Drums didn't sound like drums before Jimmy Page. Yeah, he put he put a drum kit in in an empty building, I think, in, in the bathroom. He knew he he knew yeah. how he knew how he, he was blessed with a with a with a drummer like Bonham. But he also knew how from his session days to record drums so that they didn't sound like cardboard boxes anymore. If you compare the drum sounds on Led Zeppelin one to every other album, you can go back. It's like. Uh, Zeppelin one I think came out in '68. If you go and search Wikipedia for albums of 1968, and you look at the other albums from from bands that were supposedly heavy bands at that time, yeah, and you look at studio albums, not live albums, but studio albums, find me a drum sound that's anything like what's on Zeppelin one, yeah, and you won't be able to do it. And that's Jimmy, uh, and you know all of these pioneering sort of practices that he, he pioneered in the studio. Um, certainly he, he was the one who made them famous, whether or not, you know, cause he probably learned them from other people from earlier sessions and right. things like that, but he knew how to do it and he knew how to get it. And then he was blessed with this band of, of absolute gods yeah. in his band. And John Bonham, he was also just incredible. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, you know, but you know, I, the, the point is, I think, you know he gets he 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 doesn't get enough credit as a producer hmm. and he's one of the best producers of all time for rock certainly all of that stuff you hear on whole lot of love all that backwards echo all <laughs> of that stuff the the phase shifter putting the phase shifter on the drums things like that on you know on certain drum fills in cashmere you're hearing phase shifter on the drums you know those are techniques that you know i don't think they came from anyone but him and all that psych that psychedelic break and all that love that's also really something i mean uh, right the minute you're wearing headphones and you're listening to that and by the way i was doing that when i was 16 years old and <laughs> you know, listening listening to that just going oh my god and you know the sonic architecture the idea of of layering guitars on top of guitars you you know you have songs that have you know 
an acoustic bedding that you don't even necessarily think about. So you have a song like Over the Hills and Far Away that's got a six-string acoustic, it's got a 12-string acoustic, and it's got electric, and you're painting with this canvas and it, you know, to, to make sure that this, as the song progresses, it continually gets bigger and more uh, anthemic and more d- dramatic and more dynamic. And, you know, a lot of that sort of innovation for the style of rock that they pioneered, uh, it came right out of Jimmy's head, um, you know. It, you know, all of those guys became templates for everything that came later. This is what a rock singer should look and sound like. This is what a what a guitar player should be looking like on stage in a rock band. You should have a Les Paul slung around your knees. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's like it was a template, and this is what your drummer should sound like, and your bass player should be able to do freaking everything. Yeah, everything. And, and that guy was you know, also so, something, man. It was. They it was, were all it, such serious badasses. Yeah. Like, yeah. How many instruments did he play? He was one of those guys. He was kind of like Brian Jones in the Stones. That anything you handed him, he could probably play. He <laughs> plays the recorder part on Stairway to Heaven in the intro. He plays the recorder. He plays the mellotron. He plays, you know, all the, any any keyboard instrument you can, ma- you know, manage. But then he also, you know, there's there's. Uh, videos of him on YouTube, like going on you know, TV shows and doing like Zeppelin songs on mandolin and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, obviously any stringed instrument as well. So, you know, you have, you know, a guy who's the utility man, anything, you know, anything you needed to throw at him, he'd, he'd play it. And, um, you know, they do, they, they do a three hour show and an hour in the middle of it would be a, a pure acoustic set. And man, if I had a I mean, time machine, was, it, like yeah, and yeah, you ever saw yeah, him live? It's Zeppelin. I was not able. I had tickets for the tour that they were doing when Bonham died. Oh man, yeah. So I never got to see them myself live. I know people who did, uh, and fortunately now we have some some really strong video footage. And it's funny. The other thing that I see these days is there's a lot of people on YouTube doing young people younger than yourself. I think doing reaction videos to rock yes. music. Yeah. And that's wonderful because it's, it's, it's coming full circle. Or hip-hop fans who listen to Led Zeppelin for the first time. It's, oh. oh, we got a bit of a connection problem. Oh, are you still there? Yeah, I, it dropped for a minute. Let's see, I can hear you, but I can't see you. Uh, my video is supposedly on. Let's see. Myself Yours another, is not yet. Let's pour myself another glass in the meantime because it's Friday. Sure. Me too. Here we go. We're back. Yeah. Let's see. We're um, we're talking about. So I was saying, there's, yeah, yeah there's a whole, whole bunch of people whose minds now, these young people, are are discovering Zeppelin and Queen and Purple and Pink all Floyd. of these bands, Pink Floyd to a degree. Rush, they're all they're all madly in love with Rush. I think this is this is a wonderful, wonderful thing that's happening because when young people start getting back into this music and realizing, oh my God, the stuff that they're feeding me now in the industry is horrible compared to this. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's know, just they, me or if it's like a typical thing when but that starts coming up when you get older. I mean, I'm in my early 30s, so I guess I'm not super young yeah. anymore, but. Uh, is it just me or is just music just getting worse and worse? I mean, it's not just you. 
it's not just you. First of all, you can make a case that every decade from the 60s on gets less and less melodic. Right. The 60s were more melodic than the 70s. The 70s were more melodic than the 80s. By the time you get to the 80s and, and certainly into the 90s, you start getting rap and hip-hop way much less melodic. Rap metal right. and Limbiscuit. Right. And, yeah. All of that stuff is less melodic than what came before it. And then you start getting into this stuff where now like all of, you know, most of the music you hear these days, if you get in an Uber and an Uber driver, I think by law they're required to play this garbage for you <laughs> while you're in the car. But, you know, every, everything seems like it's made by the same three or four people. All yeah. of the backing tracks, all of the backing tracks have the same drum machines, the same production effects, the same exact sonics. So and then auto-tuned. They yeah, and they find you know different little infantilized women voices. <laughs> so they all have these little girl voices. They all sound like they're fourteen year old jailbait on purpose. <laughs> they they can they can hold a tune, but they don't sing like with power or anything right. like that. You know they don't. I mean they don't have the you know the big voice like perhaps a Christina Aguilera or something like that. She could actually, actually sing. Has, she yeah. has real freaking pipes. Yeah, but. Most people that you hear so they're just kind of like whining and they sound like you know little pouty little girls and and or um, it's um, gangster rap you know or, or like angry right, but, angry shit you know but yeah i mean a lot of this stuff is industry created stuff where the, there's like two or three songwriters who write all of this material for these people and they just crank it out like a factory and um the people who are doing these reaction videos they're getting their minds blown when they see Freddie Mercury. I mean, they're getting their minds blown when they hear Led Zeppelin. They're getting their minds blown when they see Rush play live and, you know, and see them do what they do. And they realize, oh my God, what am I being, what, what am I hearing in my own era at this time that is even remotely close to that kind of handcrafted music? And the answer is zero, nothing. <laughs> So, you know, they are, it's a, it's a really cool thing to watch a bunch of 20-somethings sit there and listen to a Thin Lizzy song and go, wow. <laughs> or, you know, or, or a Zeppelin song and go, oh my God. And, you know, it's funny. I was watching one the other night where it was this, um, this female reacting to Led Zeppelin and she was watching... Um, Black Dog Live from Madison Square Garden, 73, watching Robert Plant slither across the stage. And you could see, it's like, this woman is getting hot just watching this. <laughs> still, for fi- over 50 years, they're still getting women hot. They're still, and then, then she watched another one, and, she, and you, she got this look on her face like, oh my God, I've missed all of it. Right. I've missed all of it. I can't believe this happened, and I'm stuck with Billie Eilish. You know, <laughs> it's just... <laughs> So I think, you know, those kinds of things are happening and it's really positive because, you know, if it inspires anyone to start picking up instruments again and start recreating that kind of music where it's actually uh, not electronically created, it's created with real instruments and right. you know, people being inspired to try and want to play that well again, I think that's a wonderful thing. I'm, I hope I live to see another generation of it. Oh, man, I but, hear you. I mean, I, I, li- yeah. I, I live in um, Europe, so like Western Europe, Netherlands, and, and here uh, techno was a big thing. 
So it's, sure, uh, people just go to uh, to these uh, you know dark places with lasers and lights, and it's just kind of monotonous, doom doom doom, and everyone's on drugs. My wife and, is a know. my wife is a is a professional singer in in that electronic dance music uh, genre, and she um, she's trying like hell to make it more about songs. And, and largely succeeding and, and, and doing really well in that. But it's like, it's, it's a different, it's a different medium. It's for, you know, if you're talking about music for dance floors in, in nightclubs, it's really a completely different ball game. It is, but so. I, I think like disco from the, like the seventies and, and stuff like that, there's some real disco music from, there. And, and yeah, because funk, they were played, they were, they were still played by musicians, especially they were still funk. played. Right, they were still yeah. played by musicians. You still had real drums, real bass, real guitars, and real you know real keys. It wasn't some some producer out there programming a track on a laptop that someone will then go and you know maybe sing over or something like that. You based on drum loops and and all of these things. It was it was handcrafted. I mean that that I use that term. That was a term I heard Michael Schenker use a couple of years ago, where he was talking about still making music still making handcrafted music <laughs> and it stuck with me because it's like it's true there's there's this completely different way of making music now where you don't have to be a musician really no it helps if you are it helps if you're a guy who, who act, or a woman who knows how to play but there are people out there who don't know how to play who can make dance tracks fairly easily through trial and error with you know with drum machines you still there? I'm here now. Yep, we dropped again. So you're on Wi-Fi? Uh, yeah, I just had my router and everything changed this week because I was having trouble. I don't think it dropped on my end. Okay. Well, you... It's hard to know, but I mean, yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely different kind of different kind of music. Yeah. Yep. Um, but. Uh, Let's get back to the to the uh, dinosaur rock guitar. Sure. Um, sure. The website says that uh, basically the guitar alchemy is uh, is complete. You know, like the profiles are finished. There's no more plans right. to add any of it because this is like the the foundation of the the history of of it all. And um, you know, um, are you gonna if what if tomorrow like a new like super legend? comes out of nowhere that takes all the boxes uh will we get a you'll get into the honorable mentions part of the website or um if someone really truly came along i'd consider doing it again and last two years ago my wife was recovering from some surgery she had and she was bored and she was saying i want to write one on paul gilbert who was not part of the original set and by that time, I was sort of like, you know, we had almost started one once a long time ago on Paul, but we didn't really, we'd never really, it didn't get any traction. I hadn't been listening to him enough to know whether, you know, at that point, you know, I didn't feel qualified to write it. But over time, I listened to a lot more of him. And I really, the things that I love about Paul Gilbert are not necessarily the things that a lot of people love about Paul Gilbert. So I said, you know, one, sure, go ahead and write the thing. <laughs> to my wife, who's also a good writer. Uh, and um, we, you know, I edited it. I Let's see, there you are. Wow. Again. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, uh, so any. Yeah. So anyway, um, I said, go ahead and write. You know, write the Paul Gilbert thing, draft it. I will add. You know, I will. She's not a guitarist. She's a pianist and a vocalist and a ridiculous musician um, who has you know degrees in music and everything and. So she she wrote what she wanted to write about Paul, and I added the parts of, of what I thought were, you know, hallmarks of his style and stuff. And we did that because, um, you know, there was sort of like the impetus was there. Uh, she was, like I said, recovering from a surgery, and she wanted to do something like that. And I said, sure. Uh, I haven't had much inclination to add anyone else um, and if someone came along in the unlikely event that someone came along that warranted it, I think, sure. What do you think of uh, Consider Joe something like that. Um, I think this is a guy who's a really good player who can't write a rock riff to save his life. <laughs> he's a blues guitarist who can solo for days, although I don't think he solos, for example, as well as Gary Moore does, even when Gary Moore is in a blues context and the man clearly cannot write a rock riff to save his life Hmm. um doesn't mean he's not a great player he's a great player he certainly is but i mean i i watched when he was in the band with glenn hughes and uh black country communion and those songs were like glenn hughes songs right bass written kinds of of things he was you know in my opinion the wrong guy for that band uh, in a major way, in the way that Steve Morse is the wrong guy for Deep Purple. But, hmm. but um, you know, he's not a rock guy, much no. as he tries. And, uh, you know, it, it, part of the, the definition of what the site has always been about is being a guy who is a riff writer guy, is a guy who comes up with you know, ballsy, heavy sort of things. And that's not Bonamassa. No. Uh, and, you know, he is a wonderful player in a, in, you know, in a lot of ways, but he's not a guy whose playing excites me. Right. Because right. I've seen, I've seen, you know, I've seen better. Hmm. I've seen guys who do what he does better. And, uh, it's not always about that. It's really, it's about, you know, I, I once saw Eric Johnson play. He's a wonderful player, but he bores me to tears. He, he, he has the stage presence of a potted plant. <laughs> and um, he just, it's not, you know, you can appreciate a level of, of, of what he's been able to achieve on the instrument. But if the music doesn't speak to you, the music doesn't speak to you. And that's the, really the bottom line. It doesn't matter how good a player a guy is if, if what he does doesn't speak to you. And that's from, you know, not just me. That's person to person. Everybody's got, you know, there are people that, you know, that their music speaks to them and other people that it doesn't. Right. What about uh, John Frusciante from the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Also not really my thing. Um, uh I don't have a lot of uh, love for music of that era, even though they did start sort of in the in the eighties. Um, I, I I certainly acknowledge how good a bass player Flea is, and you know how how amazing Chad Smith is. But their music, 
doesn't really do much for me. Kind of ends with you in the mid eighties, I guess. Yeah. Um, for 80s. the most part, I mean, yeah, yeah, I would say that's, that's a fair statement. And, um, occasionally there are some things that come along that, um, pique my interest or occasionally some band will, will, will uh, resonate with me for some reason, usually not for the reasons, uh, that are like, because I'm blown away by the guitar work. Usually it's, it's more about, you know, the songwriting and things like that. So for me, it's still about, you know, if you have great songs, if I, if your songs, if your songs turn me on, I will likely be a fan, regardless of whether you have a hot guitar player in the band or not. Right. So like a band like Oasis or something, like you, you would appreciate the songwriting, but not necessarily the, the, you know. Right, except I don't. But oh. yes, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's not, so I'll give you an example. There's this band from I, th I think they're from Denmark called the Blue Van. The Blue Van, okay. The Blue Van. Uh, they are a rock band. They are a, a bunch of guys who have written some really great songs. They have several albums of which at least three of them are really good, and they're they're songwriters and. But like their lead players are, are their lead guitarist is is barely competent, okay. and but and their singer is has has a quality to his voice. It's really much more of a um, of a pop thing, but it's it, they're playing rock music. They're playing it loud. They're playing it with attitude, and their songs are killer. I can't take away anything, so I enjoy that. But it's I don't enjoy it for the reasons I enjoy Deep Purple. You know, it's it's I enjoy it for different reasons and. They're very, um, they had like, they have had success by having like an Apple commercial. They got their music as one of the Apple commercials. I right. think they had their, their music as a theme song for a TV show or something like that. So they've, they've had success through licensing. It's not really rock and roll, you know? No, that band is really rock and roll. If you listen, if you go listen to that, um, let me tell you what the name of the album was. Hang on. No, I mean, uh, there's this uh, like famous legend around the doors that they didn't want their music used for a car commercial. The right. <laughs> yeah, if they were still around, they'd be they'd be dying for that commercial right now. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a fan uh, of the Doors? I love the Doors. Uh, more more earlier than later, I think they got. I you know I don't think they ever topped their debut album. So um, there's the Blue Van had an album called Man Up and an album called Love Shot. Check those out when you get a chance, um, and I think you'll find that those songs are really good and really sticky, and they still rock. But it's not from you know the school of you know blazing guitar solos and stuff. So like that. It has nothing to do with that. Um, it's just you know more about you know good songs. Okay. Cool. But um, the I'll doors, the door, yeah, the doors. Um, they were really unique as well, and uh, I like them uh, until they go too far off the rails, I think. Uh, it'd be hard to argue that they, you know, they had one of the great debut albums of all times, along with, like, Jimi Hendrix and Van Halen. I mean, you're talking about bands whose arguably their best album was their first album. Even in the case of Van Halen, you could make that case. People may argue with you, but... Um, I, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, the Doors' first album and Jimi Hendrix's first album 
were, you know, among the strongest debut albums of all time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, also, so, yeah. you know, you, you get into, you know, after that, there is somewhat of a... Uh, Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, absolutely. Another yeah. one. Right. Where, where have they bested that? I mean, yeah. you, can, you can make that case. And, you know, and, you know it's, this is all opinion, but, I mean, these are my opinions. And um, I know that a lot of people think, you know, if you look at, you know, the strongest debut albums stuff a lot of bands don't have their first album as their strongest album they get better as they go along yeah but other other bands they you know they come out with a, with a huge thing and like i said i think if if, if guns and roses hadn't become stars overnight they might have maybe lasted a little longer if they had to maybe work for it a little harder <laughs> over that period you know and then you know they got so so big so fast and it went to their heads so easily that you and know. all the drugs and the booze and the women. Sure, and, you know. Sure, I mean you know, but you look at you know, contrast it with Metallica. Their first stuff isn't their best stuff necessarily. They start hitting their stride, you know, a little later. Yeah, I mean most people think you know most people point to Master of Puppets or the Black Album as their best as their best work. A lot of people and, hate the Black Album too, though. Yeah, that's just bullshit. It really is. That has some of the catchiest songs they ever wrote on it, and some of the you know some of the best. Um, and you know, if, if, you know, if you can't appreciate great songs, uh, I don't have a lot of time for those folks because it's, it's really, it's really about if your songs are great, you win. Right. If your songs are great, you win. It doesn't matter how good your guitar player is. If your songs are great, you're going to win. Okay. Let's talk about how great George Harrison was as a lead player. He was a really great lead player, not in a in, not in the technical sense, but he always played leads that were like you know really good for the song, songs like something and things like that, where the lead is is a very short little quick thing. It's absolutely perfect, but you know the songs. Who can contest the songs? Yeah, I think you'd be uh, you'd be hard pressed to uh, to do that. You got yeah. Kirk Hammond on the on the website as well. We never did Kirk, um, not not through any any perf, you know it wasn't a purposeful thing to leave him out. But by the time we had written a bunch of them, at the time we were doing them, I was getting like tons of emails from people who were on the site and people who were just reading the site saying, "Oh, you got to do this guy. Oh, you got to do that guy. You got to how could you leave this guy out? How could you leave that guy out?" And it was a real pain in the ass, frankly. Because it was like, you know, people were suggesting people that I wouldn't dream of covering for the very reasons that, you know, we used to have a page. I don't even know if we still have it up or not, but like who is and who is not a dino guitarist. I remember and, reading that page. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it was sort of, I had to put that up sort of as like a, a sort of like, you know, don't so come and to so me a and dinosaur. Ask, <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So I, I had to put that up because people were coming to me asking me to, to review guys I would never review. Uh, because they didn't really fit the thing. Like David Gilmour, he is not a riff writer. He is not a a technician on lead guitar. He's a wonderful guitarist for what he does, but he doesn't fall into that. I love Keith Richards. I love the Rolling Stones, but that is not this style of music. Right. He is not that kind of lead player. It needs to be and like a guitar hero type of guy. It has to be a guy with that attitude that when he straps on a guitar – 
he wants to lop your head off right. with it. And he's a gunslinger. He wants to, you know, and he's not ducking it. He, he wants to step out and be bold and play bold and play loud and proud and say, look at me for the next 30 seconds right. while I do this. And, you know, that's a mentality that a guy like Keith Richards doesn't have. No. And he just uh, kind of hangs, hangs there and no, does his thing, you know, and he's, he's about, brilliant. He's, a, he's, a, he's brilliant in his own way and he's different in a different way. And it's, it's really about, to me, it's always about what you value in music, what you value in a player. All of that is, you know, I'm a huge fan of Yes. I love Yes. I love Steve Howe's playing. He's not a dino. He's not that kind of guy. He's not that kind of player. But I love their music. I love, you know, so it's, it's, it's really just about where the site is concerned. It's about this sliver of this genre where people are playing in this style of guitar. It doesn't mean we can't talk about other folks. It doesn't mean, you know, we don't appreciate other things. But because everybody I know on that site likes things that are not of that genre as well as that. But, you know, this is a focus of this website that gave it a niche audience that to this day nothing else has anything quite like that focus. Right. Right. I mean, you can have like, you know, a metal website or you could have a guitar website. But to have a, a website that's focused on a specific style of music that, you know, <laughs> is a, it starts here and it ends here and, and everything on the edges is kind of fuzzy. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm reading now like like uh, dinosaur rock guitarist in general don't play corporate suck ass rock. <laughs> the guys in Sticks, right. Foreigner, the Eagles in Boston are not dinos. No. Steve Look Steve Lukather is a dino when he's not in Toto. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah, a monster player, but but he but you know he's not playing like you know heavy riff rock music most of the time. He's he's. Right. A ridiculous lead player, one of the very best, but he is not, you know, usually making the kind of music that excites me the most. He's right. very jazzy in a lot of respects. That band, um, you know, the guys, the, I've never been a big fan personally of where the influence on the rock comes from the jazz side, where you're talking about your Steely Dan's and your, you know, Toto's and Boz Skaggs and all of these things that are more jazz influenced. Rather yeah. than blues influenced blues. or cla- or classical influenced, right? All right, because like you know, you have your German guitarists; they're all sort of classical influenced, and then you have you know a lot of the American guys are more blues influenced, and some of the British guys too are blues influenced. But the ones that are the jazz influenced, that that kind of music has never struck a chord with me personally. I know a lot of people love it, but um, that's and and I'm not knocking the quality of the playing. These that's are good players. Definitely different kind of audience. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it never did a whole lot for me either, to be honest. I mean, I always just really been a, a blues guy, and then after that, I became a rock guy. Mm-hmm. One of the first um, CDs I ever had was uh, 10 Years After. It uh, mm-hmm. was the live album, and um, yeah, that was kind of my... That int- big- I'm sorry? Was that, that's the one with the big 10-minute Al- Alvin Lee thing or whatever. 
Yeah. Uh, what is it? Going home. Yeah, going home with the yeah, guitar yeah, solo. Yeah. Just, just like you can yeah. barely keep up. You know. It's a landmark moment in guitar. It's certainly you know one of those landmark moments. But uh, beyond his work on 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 tracks like that. I wasn't much into that band, but I mean, you know, I'm not knocking it either. It's just that it was like you said, we all we all find things we gravitate to and find things that we don't. So, right, yeah. Well, that kind of that that album kind of was my introduction to uh, to rock music, and then from there, yeah, sure, Guns N' Roses, and uh, from there I went back to uh, Deep Purple and Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, of course. And are you a fan of sure. uh, Deep Purple? Absolutely. Absolutely. Love, love, love Deep Purple. Um, and I even love them up until when, you know, even that last album that they did with Tommy Bowen. I love that album. It's not very much like the earlier Purple, but it was a great, it was a great band and a great album at that time, uh, even though Tommy wasn't Richie. But, I mean, it was interesting music in a different vein and all of that. One thing you mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to before I forget which I do in my old age, is um, you said, what if another guy came along that was really great? Um, I've often thought and had discussions with people, who is the last guitar hero? I would who's say the last Slash. Guy? I would too. Yeah? I would too. I don't think there's been another guitar hero since then. And even if you, you know, there are people who like, you know, who, who like John Mayer, and John Mayer is a good player, but yeah, he's not what you—he's not what you call a guitar hero. He's yeah. Um, I, w- I wouldn't. I mean, he's—he's. He's, I mean, chicks love him. He's got that going for him, and he knows how to play for sure. But sure. I don't know. He but he's not. Yeah. There's no swagger there. Yeah. There's no guitar hero swagger there, and yeah. that's got to be there. I mean, you know, and 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 by the way, we talk about dangerous. going back to. Go. We talk about the you know going back to Jimmy Page and and to a degree Keith. Keith Richards, but you know, swagger comes from those guys. Right. The whole swagger of the rock guitar player comes from Keith Richards and Jimmy Page, and Jimmy got a lot of it from Keith, and uh, and took it further. Keith Richards and, still the coolest motherfucker. <laughs> absolutely, he put an out. Al- he put out an album in 2015 that was fucking great. It's called um, Cross-eyed Heart. It's not a it's not really a guitar album per se from the standpoint of heavy rock or anything like that. It's not a lead guitar album. It's just an album of Keith doing songs and stuff that were, and it's so freaking cool and it's so good. And it's, it's, I got so much variety. It's so much variety from track to track. And the other thing you hear when you hear Keith without the stones is you hear how much of the stones is Keith. You listen to this album and you and you hear, oh my God! Everything that you know, this is what Keith. You know, we know what you know. We sort of think like this this sonic idea of what the Stones are, what yeah. they sound like. And you listen to this album, you can you can hear how much of that is Keith, what percentage of that is Keith, and that I found really interesting because I'm a I mean huge Stones fan going way back to when I was in my early teens, and. Um, the other thing is the album from track to track has a, a bunch of different stylistic uh, genres. Some of it is, you know, very stonesy. Some of it's sort of country. Some of it's sort of 
bluesy and it's it's just you know it's one of those albums that if you're you know i think you're sitting there drinking a wine yeah. if you're having a good conversation <laughs> with somebody and you're and chilling out for the evening put on cross-eyed heart in the background and you'll i think you'll enjoy it it's it's really um it was a terrific little album he put out in I mean, 2000 listen to that like he's, he's there yeah. with the yeah. with this rough face and his hands all arthritis yep and, yep yeah. Man, I can. Yeah. It's amazing that that guy's still alive, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. He's just a, a, you know, he's you know, if COVID gets everybody else. Keith will still be around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, part of the thing about being this classic guitar hero in in you know in the parlance of my website, the, the dinosaur rock guitar hero, is swagger. Yeah. And balls. And, and, you know, do you, do you have that when you walk on stage? Do you play that way when you walk on stage? Yeah, you uh, either have it or you, you don't, you know. I don't think you can cultivate it. Or, you, you know, there's some people like Clapton who had it and he lost it. Although yeah. he, didn't really, he didn't really have the swagger, but he had the fire in his playing. Right. He never had, like, the, you know, the stage presence of, of, of a Jimmy Page or a Keith Richards or, or anything like that. But he would stand there in the cream days. He would stand there and just smoke everyone right, for a while. And, and then, you know, as soon as he started getting revered for it, he stopped. He's like, well, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't want that. Yeah, but, Don't worship me. You know, what do you think that was? Like, was he just like a, like very insecure, maybe yeah. very, very insecure. I read his book. He comes off as a very, insecure, weak-minded, weak-willed person who is very easily uh, put off, I guess. Wow. He never, he, he, he was a guy who wanted to, you know, he wanted to be a bluesman. And instead of, he, he was becoming a pop star. And that's why he left the Yardbirds to avoid becoming a pop star. And then he became a rock star. And then later on, he ditched being a rock star and being a guitar god, and became went back to being a pop star, right? You know, with his solo career. So, the the guitar battle that he has on uh, Layla with Dwayne Allman is um, I, that's one of my favorite guitar uh, uh, battles ever, and and in my opinion, uh, the way Allman beats him in that guitar battle. Well, I don't know if I, I would actually go for it as a battle, but yeah, they're, you know, they're trading licks. Um, and to me, Layla's a really good album, but there's nothing on there that compares with what he did in Cream, especially live, uh, in my opinion. Other people may have other opinions, that's fine. But um, I, I never saw the fire in his playing like it was between the time he did the Blues Breaker album and then when Cream ended. Hmm. That was, for me the period that is the most interesting period for Clapton. And, um, and if you want to listen to a really great guitar back and forth, look up Derek Sherinian's God of War. Derek Sherinian's God of War? Derek Sherinian, yep. Derek Sherinian, who was the, used to be the keyboard player in uh, Dream Theater. Ah. He put out a bunch of he put out a bunch of solo albums with a lot of great guitar players on it. There's a track called "God of War" where it's Zach Wilde and John Sykes going back and forth. Oh my god! And that's that's 
freaking awesome. I mean, and it's it's so obvious who's who too. If you if you have any any familiarity with these guys, well, you can they recognize. Both, they are both such yeah yeah. They're just, both instant. They're both instantly recognizable. If you're if you're into this kind of music, but uh, that's that's one of those things where they're trading off and stuff and trying to outdo each other. And it's it's, it's an instrumental track, but it's 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 sort of fusiony. But it's like. Very cool cover too. With like the yeah. Greek uh, statues and everything. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely give that a listen. Yeah, sadly you can play it. Otherwise, you'll just take it off. You know, to copyright and. Yeah, no. I mean, just for you know, for anyone who cares, that's one of those places where you have two heavyweights really going toe to toe in 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 one instrumental track, and it's a lot of fun. And you know, you can tell they're having fun with it. I, I bet you. I don't right. know. I, I don't. I. I I bet they weren't even in the same room. Nope. There we go again. Ah, this this Zoom stuff. Um, I'm happy we have it, but it doesn't work perfectly. So we got another drop out here. Let's see if we can get it back. It sucks, man, because it kind of interrupts the flow. It always takes a couple of minutes before we before you both back into it again. There we are. Hey. Yeah. Man, it keeps doing that. It's, um, yeah. It, it's, well, at least it keeps trying to reconnect us anyway, so. Did, did you have so to, uh, like, rejoin, or did it rejoin? No, it's just, it, 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 it drops, and then it, the, the, the Zoom dialogue comes up, and it says connecting. Hmm. And it takes a few seconds, but then it reconnects, so. That's weird, because it's, the quality is good when it's good, you know? It's, uh, yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think there's an ocean between us. No. Well, um, but you were going to ask me something before that happened. Yeah, I mean, I, you, I can. You're. I would imagine you were a big fan of Zach Wild because he's like a stereotype, like frontman, take your head off type of guitar player. Yeah, I, I loved his work on, uh, not the first Ozzy album, but the second one. So and no the more third tears. One. No More Tears and Osmosis, I think, are fantastic. It's a great name um, for Al. I lo- <laughs> yeah, it was. And then, but I mean, he his playing on that. He was he was still a kid. He was like under twenty five, I think, when he recorded No More Tears. And his his maturity level on playing on on that album was sensational. I mean, there's not a bum track on that album. That to me, that song wise, that album holds up with anything that Randy did, and and for the most part. I think it's better than what he did with, with what Ozzy did with Jake um, in terms of songs. Hmm. And then I think Osmosis was, was similar. I'm a huge fan of the Pride and Glory album. I liked the first Black Label Society album, but I haven't liked one since. Right. And, and then he had this solo album, I think it was called Book of Shadows or something like that, which didn't really do much for me. But um, But yeah, I think Zach, when he's on... Is wonderful and as good as anybody. He's out of his mind, by the way. He's absolutely he's one knocking thoughts. Scary yeah, individual. But, yeah, um, and he's sober now too. But I mean, this whole Viking berserker thing he's got going on. <laughs> I don't think it's. An I, act, I read. You know? I, no, I read. You know, he's he's he's. Yeah, I, I read his book and it was laugh out loud funny in spots. And I reviewed it on the website if you want to go and look it up. But I mean, it was like you know really. Uh, a strange kind of, you know. 
Man, this is kind of it's, it's sorry. It's starting to get worse, man. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I think you have to you have to do a little editing, but um. Anyway, uh, I reviewed the book. It was it was you know entertaining, but also you you go, you know, this guy is kind of cuckoo for cocoa puffs. <laughs> um, but uh, I love his playing when he's on, um, and uh, he is definitely one of those people who who wears the flag, who flies the flag proudly for this style of music because he is, he is the epitome of that guy who wants to go on stage and rip your head off. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's see. I also see you read, um, man, your that website is, is, um, it's a wealth of information really also when it comes to gear and guitars and speakers and just basic information. I remember spending a lot of time on there and back in the days when the internet was just slow it was all text, yeah. but you know, it, you could would load a page, and it would take uh, you know like tw- twenty seconds probably to load a page. But then I could read something for twenty minutes. Yeah, the original idea was to sort of capture the knowledge that we felt at the time was in threatened was being threatened of being lost forever, like in terms of like how to get certain tones, how to get certain you know certain make you know certain gear choices that would would serve you well in this particular style of music, you know, what kind of things to look for when you're purchasing a guitar, if you're in this, you know, realm or an amp, even more importantly, an amp, um, because, you know, a lot of that knowledge, over time, it's it's become almost moot because uh, it's almost impossible. You have to work really hard to get bad tone these days because the quality control of all of the guitars and amps and everything is, is so much better than it used to be. Uh, used to be you had to be in the know. You had to do a lot of back-end homework to, you know, to figure out what things would give you the sound you wanted. Now there's like a zillion ways to get to the same place, and all of them are fine, and all of them are, you know, reliable. Right. And, you know, back in the, you know, in the, in the, in the day, um, you know, there were differences in, in like, you know, one Gibson and and another Gibson of the same model, and one Fender and another Fender of the same model. One Marshall and one other Marshall of the same model. And if you ran them too hot, they'd blow up. And you know, <laughs> this and that could happen. And you know, you had to know stuff to actually get the tone. And it's like it's either like, you know, either you buy a fifty or a hundred watt British amp and you get the tone, or you buy a PV or you buy something that's like lesser than that and you don't get that tone. Right. And now it's not like that. Now you can buy almost anything off the rack and get good results and, um, and get good tones. And, you know, if, you know, your, the quality control, if you buy one guitar versus another guitar sitting right next to it, the quality is going to be better. You know, all of the objective points have, have been raised and stuff. But it was sort of like to try to capture those kinds of concepts and ideas at the time when the website was starting, it was still, you know, hard to convey to young people when, like, you know, when they're starting out, they're 15, 16 years old, and, you know, the people that are were my age were, like, you know, between 30 and 35 when the website started. We had a wealth of knowledge they didn't have, and we'd try to talk them out of buying, like, a Line 6 Spider amp and tell them, <laughs> yeah. you know, wait and get something, that, you know, wait and get something good 
And, you know, of course, they had to make their own mistakes in most cases and, and realize that, you know, a year later they shouldn't have done that. But, you know, we, we, what we added to the website at that time was a knowledge base of articles about all aspects of playing, guitars, constructions, amps, cabs, anything that had to do with creating this recording, you know, recording techniques because people were starting to get into home recording at that time. I was. I was starting to get into home recording at that time. And and you sort of like, you know, you know, how do you get, you know, that kind of guitar sound that we all know and love from this this era? How do you go about getting that? Right. What do you need to go about getting that? Well it's a lot easier now. And you know, back in those days, and I'm talking about those days 20 years ago, not 40 years ago, but 20 years ago, it's like, no, you still need a tube amp. You still need real tubes. You still need, you know, this and that and the other thing. And now it's kind of like, I almost never bust out my tube amps unless it's really for some reason that I need to get the actual real, the real sound. Right. If I'm practicing, I don't bother. It's too much of a pain in the ass. I practice with these things on. Headphones. Through something like that, so it's like it's like why bother? I practice through things that are you know convenient to practice through. I bought a pair of these um, these Boss headphones recently. These Boss wireless headphones that have like this almost surround sound kind of uh, feature in them, and you run all of the the amps off of your phone. You can you can dial up different kinds of amp combinations and stuff on your phone, and you play, and it's silent and it's wireless. And for practice, for me, that was wonderful. It actually but if I'm playing, really well. If I'm, yeah, right, exactly. But if I have to play a real gig or if I'm doing a real recording session, I'm going to bust out a real tube amp and I'm going to throw a mic on a cabinet. Now yeah. there are, But when I'm doing a demo, if I'm just doing a demo to get an idea down, I don't do that. I, throw, I, I go to my, my software and I plug in to my audio interface and I dial up a, a, you know, an amp simulator, something that sounds crunchy and good, and it's fine for that context. So it's like, you know, it used to be you only had one way to get that sound. And that's overdriving a real tube amp. And at the, in those days, they were only 50s and 100s. Now you can overdrive a 7-watt amp yeah. and go through a 112 speaker and get that sound at like a quarter of the volume. You don't have to and it's blow, your, blow your roof off. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, you know, you know, for those of us who live in cities and in apartments, yeah. you know, Hooking up a 100-watt amp and a 412 cab these days is not, you know, really going to make you happy with your neighbors. No. So, uh, I, you know. I, I have a, a, a Blackstar tube amp that's uh, yep. 45 watts, but it has a button on it that let, lets me, like, tune down the wattage on the power stage. Yeah, so, I so, mean, that was, that. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So when I turn it down all the way, it's like four and a half watts, and I can get, yep. like, that hot power stage sound without having to you know that's that's what it's all about bring the building down <laughs> yep yeah. that's what it's all about yeah. and that started around we first the first time we really saw that was when a bunch of us from the site went out to nam in 2008 and saw the first orange tiny terror oh yeah that thing uh, which, i remember that which was that thing is is i still have mine it's a beast it can be 7 watts or it can be 15 watts uh, you cannot get a bad sound out of it. Yeah, 
it doesn't, you can plug in the worst guitar in the world. You can't get a bad sound out of that amp. It, uh, it's just wonderful in, in that respect. It's, it's a really, really simple design. If you look inside the thing, it's got like one EL30, one EL84 and like, a, you know, a preamp tube and, and not a whole hell of a lot else. But how come no and, one else came with came up with that earlier? Then I wonder. Um, I, I I think, you know, it's a really good question why they hadn't why they didn't get there earlier. Because even in the seventies, everybody I knew was saying, "I want to get this sound, but I don't want it this loud." <laughs> and uh, I don't know what what the amp companies were thinking. I think it took. I, I don't know why it took so long. You know, you'd think you know. Who needs to play? I mean, who really needs to play a club with 50 or 100 watt amps and four 12s or eight 12s? Yeah. I mean, it, back in the day, it was a status thing to have big Marshall stacks on the stage behind you. And it was, you know, it was really a wonderful thing to experience and behold if you ever had the chance to do it. But you only were able to turn that amp up like a tiny little bit. Yeah. And people were putting attenuators on them and, you know, the, the sort of the precursors to hot plates so that you could basically get the sound but not at the volume. Because, you know, if you're in a small club, you're just destroying people at that level. And Yeah, for, um, for those who don't know, like like a, a 412 is, is a cab, like a cabinet with four 12-inch speakers in it. And um, right. yeah, you would stack both of those, two of those on top of each other and you put the amplifier on top of that and it would be taller than, than a, than a big person. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And those things like maybe 50 or a hundred Watts doesn't sound as much because, you know, if you go into an electronic store, you see speakers sold Bluetooth speakers that say that they're 200 Watts, but works different it's with not, tube amplifiers. Yeah. It's not the same. 50 to 100 watts will, will, you know, it's so loud that it makes your teeth hurt. It's, uh, right. And 100, and the other thing is it's not, it's not a, it's not a geometrically uh, or mathematically even curve. A, a 50 watt amplifier is not half as loud as a 100 watt amplifier. It's probably 10% less loud. Yeah. 100, 100 watt amplifier is just a little louder than a 50. So, well, the amplifier companies finally realized that the guitarist wanted something that could get that sound, but didn't have to be quite that loud. And, you know, Vox put out a, uh, a, the first of what we call the lunchbox size amps, but the one that really was the, the first one that a lot of people gravitated to, especially the people who want to play crunchy, heavy rock, was the Orange Tiny Terror. And it's, you know... It's really simple. It's got a volume knob, a gain knob, and I think it's got a bass treble. Turn it one way, it's bass. Turn it the other way, it's treble. It couldn't be any simpler. And we saw it for the first time in 2008. So you're thinking, okay, we've had this problem since the mid-'70s. They didn't solve it in the 80s. They didn't solve it in the 90s. They didn't solve it in the first few years of the 2000s. It took till 2008 to come up with this idea of let's scale this stuff down. It's the same year the iPhone guitarists. came out the first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy that it took that long. But, I mean, I think a lot of these companies are really slow on the uptake for really for what they should be producing. And, you know, what they're, they're sort of tone deaf in terms of what, uh, what the players are looking for. Marshall, after that, um, instead of putting out a comparable... Item. They, I think they've done so since then. But 
one of the things Marshall did was they put out a one watt series of small heads of like the classic uh, Plexi style Marshall, yes. the JCM 800 style Marshall. I saw those. Um, they put them out. They put them out as one watt versions of these things. Okay, and they were insanely popular. People loved them. They sounded great. You can record, you know, get that sound. But you know, if you if you if you mic it up, you get that sound, and you can't tell it's a small amp. And they were insanely popular for people who were doing home recording and just playing around the house. And what did they do? After a year of being in production, they stopped. <laughs> it's like, why are you stopping? It's 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 crazy. You know, you're selling these like like crazy, and you stop it. And they were cool they looking just, too. They were just like mini they were, versions. They were too, they of, were, right. And now they're doing a twenty watt version. A twenty watts is loud too, though already. It can know? be, but I think I think you can also I think you can turn it down. I think you can scale it back to something else like that. And if I didn't have I already have a bunch of amps that do this in from other brands, but if I didn't, I'd be looking at those Marshalls because they're now giving you, you know, the twenty watt, and we, I, th- I think you can turn it down to ten or something like that, okay. or seven. Or, I don't know, but I mean, they sound really good, and they sound like they're supposed to sound. And um, they are, I think they're called the Studio Series now, or something. Studio Twenty Series, and they have a Plexi version and an eight hundred version and a two thousand version, a DSL kind of thing. And then they have the um, what do they call it? The ones that was they used to be in the silver. In the silver silver jubilee, I think. Yeah, yeah, the silver jubilee. Yeah. What are some of your favorite albums when it comes to just great examples of real dinosaur rock guitarists? Aside from the ones we already mentioned, we mentioned the uh, first Guns N' Roses album. We mentioned Deep Purple, probably Machine Head, right? First Jimmy yep, Hendrix and album. Yeah, certainly, certainly, and in in rock is also on that list for Deep Purple. In rock, and and. Then, yeah, and then if you're going to continue the Blackmore thread, obviously the three albums he did with Ronnie James Dio, uh, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, and to a better extent, Rainbow Rising is a classic, and Long Live Rock and Roll are uh, all absolutely wonderful. Um, the last two especially. Um, so you've got that. Uh, Sabbath, Heaven and Hell with Dio, uh, Possibly the greatest metal album, certainly in the conversation of the greatest metal albums of all time. Heaven and um, Hell. Heaven and Hell, obviously. Uh, any, you know, any, anything from uh, Sabbath and Rainbow that where, where Dio was concerned. Um, if we go back a little bit into the 70s, the, you know, the Zeppelin albums, particularly Zeppelin 4, Zeppelin 2, you know, you can't go wrong with any of those albums, um, any of the Zeppelin albums. The first five Black Sabbath albums with Ozzy, the first five, which is Black Sabbath, Paranoid, Master of Reality, Sabotage, and Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Was Randy Rhodes? Those are all Randy Rhodes, the two albums with Ozzy. Absolutely must-haves. Um, let's see. Um Also, uh, no more tears and uh... no more tears. Yeah, that's that's the other era, right? And of course, Bark at the Moon for the Jake era. Um, I'm a huge fan of John Sykes. 
I'm a huge fan of Blue Murder, his band Blue Murder. The first two Blue Murder albums are absolutely astonishing. Way better in my opinion, and I'm probably in the minority on this, but way better than the White Snake 87 album by a long shot. Um, I think uh, I, love, I love the Black Sabbath Born Again album with Ian Gillen on vocals. Some of the most astonishing vocals you will ever hear on any album. It's like every track, it's Ian Gillen like shrieking his brains out in this insane way, and it's it's really cool. People don't like the production on the album, but I don't think it detracts too much. Um, it's it's one of those albums that is just such an overlooked gem. Um, Finn Lizzy, uh, pretty much everything from Fighting through uh, Thunder and Lightning, where you have um, you know. The classic era with Brian Robertson and Scott Gorham, you have um, Jailbreak, Johnny the Fox, and Soldier of Fortune. Uh, not Soldier, Bad Reputation. It's got Soldier of Fortune on it. Bad Reputation is the name of the album. I mentioned the Sabbath albums with Ozzy. I mentioned the Ozzy albums. Um, Scorpions. Pretty much anything from uh, like Fly to the Rainbow or In Trance all the way up through Love at First Sting. All excellent, um, whether it's Uli or Matthias Jobs, um, except anything from Breaker all the way up through their, you know, their modern stuff. Without There's a few clunkers in there, but uh, certainly the classic period from Breaker through uh, Russian Roulette and Objection Overruled. And then the newer albums, they started out with um, Blood of the Nations and Stalingrad are both fantastic. Um, Rise of Chaos. I didn't like the one that was in between that one so much. Uh, Gary Moore, my goodness, for the most intense guitar playing you'll ever hear in your life. Uh, Corridors of Power, Victims of the Future, We Want More. You can start with those three. Um, let's see. I think I talked about Shanker. The UFO era of Shanker, from, uh, really from like Force It through Strangers in the Night. And then with Michael Schenker Group, the first album, the second album, and the, the live album, uh, Live at Budokan, um, and then uh, Assault Attack with Graham Bonnet on vocals was great. Um, who else? Um, no one talks enough about Loudness. Loudness were fantastic. Uh, at least get Thunder in the East. Um, that's a bulletproof album from 1985. It stands up to this day. Um, the first two Dio albums, Holy Diver, Last in Line, oh, so many others. Uh, Iron Maiden, everything from their first album up through Somewhere in Time. It hasn't been so great after that. Um, Bruce Dickinson's solo albums, um, Balls to Picasso, Accident of Birth, Chemical Wedding, Rush, everything from their first album up through at least... Um, I'd say if you want to talk dino through like signals and then after that, they were still good for a few years. Um, grace under pressure, power windows, hold your fire, less guitar, less lead guitar work on those, but still great songs. Um, counterparts in my opinion was the last great rush album. Um, the first three queen albums are as heavy as anything you'll ever hear. Brian May's just a madman on the first three Queen albums. Queen, Queen 2, and Sheer Heart Attack. 
and then you get into the arrow that everybody thinks of when they think of Queen. But they were such a a such a heavy band in those first three albums. Um, Thin Lizzy is what I was talking about, I think, before uh, the classic period with Brian Robertson, Scott Gorham. And then you have the album Black Rose with Gary Moore. And then you have Thunder and Lightning with John Sykes. All wonderful albums. Um, Aerosmith, we talked a little bit about Aerosmith. The first album, Get Your Wings, uh, Toys in the Attic, Rocks gets a little spotty from there. And then you get into the 90s where they got back together and they were clean and sober. There's some good albums in that era too. Um, uh, Get a Grip is terrific. Pump is terrific. Um, I listen to Get a Grip quite a lot. It's really good. It really is really good. Um, You know, it doesn't have quite the the sleaze factor of the earlier Aerosmith, but it's still great music. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned those guys. Hendrix. Hendrix, you know, there's only three or four albums he put out in his lifetime, and the rest of it's stuff they put out after he was gone. So, um, yes, all of the, you know, the three albums by Hendrix that are the, you know, the, the biggies are Are You Experienced, Axis Bold as Love, and... Um, Band of Gypsies. Oh, no, Electric Lady, Electric Ladyland. Oh, yeah. Band of Gypsies is is not the experience that's the other band. That's good too. Uh, I don't like it as much. I don't think it's quite as song oriented, but it's good. And then you know there's some of the you know the the different repackages of the outtakes, the Cream albums, uh, Fresh Cream, Israeli Gears, Wheels of Fire. I could say you could say Goodbye is is an interesting listen. Queen Live Volume Two is really fun. That's pretty heavy. That's that's really uh, hearing them what they sounded like live and massive. Uh, the Who, my God, where do you start with the Who? Uh, all of that stuff is great. Um, we talked about Zeppelin. We talked about, about Deep Purple. Pur- Deep Purple, yeah. So um, when Deep Purple first started, their first three albums were sort of like psychedelic rock, and then they did the concerto with orchestra thing. That stuff is uh, is is not the deep purple that you're that anyone's thinking of when they hear it not that there isn't some good tracks on there but that's sort of a trippy psychedelic thing with a lot of covers and that stuff they become deep purple on in rock so you have in rock and you have fireball and you have machine head and you have made in japan and then you have the drums on, think, on the song uh, uh, burn yeah. is uh, burn that's burn something yeah. else yeah, so I mean, you can skip. Who do we think we are? Um, you can skip uh, that. You can then you go to Burn, which is fantastic, and then Stormbringer, which I still love a lot. But Richie is like half checked out on that album, and they're going more in the in the direction of of David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes. And then you have Come Taste the Band with Tommy Bolin, which if you think of it as anything other than Deep Purple, it, you you'll really enjoy it. But if you if you're trying to compare it to classic Deep Purple with Blackmore. You know, you're not going to. It's it's not a fair comparison, but it's a real good album on its own right. Hmm. Um, I went over the Rainbow stuff already. Those are the heavy hitters. Um, I went over the Scorpions. I went over Iron Maiden. Um, you know, and that's just off the top of my head. Ozzy, <laughs> Ozzy. We we talked about that. The first yeah. two albums with Randy, um, Bark at the Moon. I'm not a huge fan of uh, the Ultimate Sin. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of No Rest for the Wicked. 
Uh, but I think, you know, the, the, the two later ones we already talked about, No More Tears and Osmosis are terrific. Nothing really after that for me. Um, what do you think of the latest one they put out, 13? I, I, didn't, I didn't get into it. I really didn't think it was that great. Uh, if you want to talk about some live stuff also, um, but like the live album they did in 98 on the reunion tour is fantastic. Um, oh, there's, I haven't mentioned any Judas Priest. Um, I am partial to British Steel, Screaming for Vengeance. And, um, did you hear that, the, the, the cover they did of uh, Man on the Silver Mountain? They Priest did? Judas Priest covered uh, Man on the Silver Mountain. They, they put oh, out, cool. yeah, they put out like a tribute album after, uh, oh, Dio cool. died. After Ronnie died. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard that. But, yeah. I'm sure that's good. Um, Another band that's criminally underrated is Y&T. If you like the rest of this stuff, you, you should really love Y&T as well. Um, the albums you'll be looking at there are Earthshaker, Black Tiger, Mean Streak, um, and In Rock We Trust. You start there, and if, you still, if, you, if you're liking it, you can go further. Um, who else? Queensryche. Damn, they were good back in the day when they had their original guitarists. Queensryche, you have the, um, the album... Uh, the Warning, you have Rage for Order, and then you have Operation Mind Crime, which is one of the greatest metal albums of all time. Operation uh, Mind Crime. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a concept album. It's absolutely fantastic. And then you had Empire, which had a bunch of hits on it. And then from there, they started to sort of peter out, and then the band kind of splintered into different groups. But when Queensryche was on its game back in the day, they were absolutely tremendous. And uh, the singer was was had one of, has one of the best uh, vocal instruments you'll ever hear on any person, living or dead. He can't sing that way anymore, but he was he was magnificent. Um, who else am I leaving out? Um, I guess those are the big names, really, uh, in the genre. Let me see what else I can look at and jog my memory. Um, I'm looking at the dinosaur rock guitar page. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. I talked about Blue Murder. Um, Jeff Beck, Richie Blackmore, Clapton. Dawkins, uh if you want to hear some good George Lynch, uh, uh, tooth, tooth and Nail under lock and key are really good. Um, yeah, ZZ Top. Um, you I'm know, a big fan of them. Uh, I like Rhythmine. That's one of the ones I like uh, more so than the ones that they got famous on in the '80s. It's much more. It's much more earthy. It's less electronic drums and more just them playing. Um, I like the early else? stuff. Listen to a lot of that. You know, it all kinds of sounds the same, but it's all great. <laughs> yeah. Um, Robin Trower is another guy who's really uh, cool and a uh, you know has his own style, his own thing. Um, See, there's a lot of one-off things. The White Snake albums that Doug Aldrich did with White Snake, um, "Good to Be Bad" and "Forevermore" are both really good. Um, he did a great job with them. Um, that's enough to keep anybody busy for a while. That's a lot of albums you just named. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, and you know, these are all classic, classic, great uh, examples of of this style of music. Cool. This style of guitar playing. 
the people who like Ingve, you, you know, the Ingve albums, you know, his first album with Alcatraz, No Parole, Rock and Roll, um, and then, you know, his Rising Force albums, if you like that style. Um, I, I tend to find it a little overblown and a little overplayed, but um, it's certainly part of the, uh, the journey if people are into it. Cool. All right, well, um, we talked about a lot. We talked for... Uh... Over, we did. We talked for over two hours. I uh, enjoyed it. Flew by. Yeah, really did. It yeah. was fun. I appreciate it. There's, uh, yeah, man. There's there's more stuff I want to talk about. You know, there's like stuff about live bands and live concerts, and I'm, I'm also curious what you think about the loudness war. You know that happened. And, oh and, God, yeah. yeah. You know all that kind of stuff. Well, so um, I think we know, should try to do it again I, sometime. I'd be happy to talk to you again. Absolutely. In so, a future time, sure. So is there, um, yeah, any uh, any final parting words to to my audience uh, besides uh, a whole lot of probably the the biggest uh, list of album recommendations uh, anyone's ever? Yeah, heard. you're gonna you're gonna have to. <laughs> I think you're gonna have to type that up and then leave it like as like a, like, a, like a still at the end or something like that. Yeah. Or you know, put it put it in the um, put it in the text underneath or something. Yeah. I'll put you know, everything in the notes. For those who don't know, our internet connection dropped about four times, so I'm trying to get them out before it, it drops again. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm blazing through them, and rather than just saying, "Yeah, we could talk about this album for seven minutes and that one for ten minutes," and you know, but uh, I think it just just given our internet connectivity today, it was better to just sort of get them out, and people can, um, if they go to dinosaurrockguitar.com and they're looking at these alchemy profiles that you brought up, if you scroll to the bottom, there's always a recommendation the listening section and those are the more or less the albums that i have sort of said it's not a complete discography but these are the ones that i would recommend that people start with so you know if you didn't catch all of this as i was blurring it past you you can always go and say i'm a big randy you know randy rhodes fan what were the albums so you can click on that and go or you know uh, you know, I want to. I want to know what Scorpions albums to listen to, and you can, you know, click on the guy who was in the Scorpions, and you can see what the albums are that you should, you know, should start out with. So there's, you know, those kinds of recommendations, and I have them rated too. So it's like, you know, most of that stuff, you know, like I said, I was being very general in passing, but you know, they're all really either good to excellent, right. the ones that I mentioned. Some of them are absolute total classics, and some of them are just you know really good as well. But um, yeah, there, there's, yeah. There's one one thing I uh, uh, that just came up that I forgot, but I remember it when I ask you. Do you have sure. you ever considered uh, turning the website into a book, like a coffee table book or something? I did try to sort of see if there was any audience for me to uh, po- you know sort of package the alchemy profiles as a book. Yeah. Uh, and I, I tried to find likely publishers, but I couldn't find anybody that was really, it's, it's hard to just sort of solicit that stuff cold and, and like send it in and try to get people interested. You got to find the right kind of publisher. So, um, I had thought about, I pursued it a tiny bit, but I, nothing ever came of it. And if, and you know, I would certainly reconsider doing that if there was ever some clear path for me to say, okay, I need to get this to these guys. They'll publish it. Right. But I don't know who those guys would be. And if anyone wants to contact me, let me know who that might be. I'd be happy to, you know, to look at that again. Because, yeah, I, I did. The thing about the site, other than the forum part, but the regular part of the site, is 
the content we've created is content of lasting value. Right. It's not, it's not like, you know, Instagram stories where it's gone in a few minutes. It's, it's there. It's been there. Some of these articles have been sitting there for 20 years. Yeah. And they're, they're still relevant. So I think, you know, if it ever came to pass where someone said, Dave, where I'm calling from a publishing house, we'd like to publish these as a book, I'd, I'd look at, like, you know, updating them, going back through and saying, okay, I wrote this in 2008. What's happened to this person between then and then? Right. You know, and do I what kind of update do I need to make? You know, I bet so, if you if you would put something like that up on the Kickstarter, I think there's an audience for this. You know, especially since it's all very well written. It's a, it's, it's well, a cool cool knowledge base. Yeah, I, I I mean there is that aspect of it. I think so too. On the other hand, it's kind of like musical music in the digital era. People are unwilling to pay for what they can get for free. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be like, you know, do I take them off the website and publish it as a book so that, you know, people can't read it for free anymore? Or I just yeah. have both, you know? Yeah. But, you know, like I said, you know, in, in this day and age, you can't even get people to pay for, for well-made music. Yeah, that's you know? true, I guess. If, yeah. they can, if they can stream it over Spotify or YouTube. So, mm. uh I'm not, like I said, I'm not against doing it, but I don't see a path or a publisher that is immediately obvious to me I should submit it to. Okay. Okay. Well, it was just an idea. No, so. I, you're right. <laughs> I had the idea. It would have been, it would have been, you know, a nice, I looked at Hal Leonard, Hal Leonard, you know, publishes a lot of music books and guitar books and things like that. And I said, maybe I can send it to Hal Leonard. And, you know, I sent him a couple of examples, you know, a couple of full, a couple of the full articles just so they could get a, a feel for what it was. Never heard back anything. Oh. So, you have to have some sort of an in, I guess. Anyway, yeah. But sure, I'd, I'd be happy to talk to you again on other on other topics if you like. Just get let me know and uh, yeah, we'll man. Do it again. Well, let's yeah, let's do it again sometime. Well, uh, okay. Thanks for coming on, man. I'm a I'm a big fan, and I'm gonna sign up to the forum. And uh, when when this episode's done, I'll edit it down, and I'll uh, be sure to get it to you. And uh, yeah, please do. Please send me a link and stuff. And if you're gonna um, if you're gonna try and register for the forum. Um, do that through email to me. Tell me what username and password you want to use, and I'll set it up for you. We've made it. We've made it pretty hard to join the forum these days. Okay. Because in the early days, we had a lot of people who were just there to start trouble. So we've made it um, sort of a a high hurdle to get in. Right. Right. Yeah. Because okay. we want to keep it the way we like it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Keep keep it small. Yeah. Keep it pure. Yeah. And yeah. All right, man. Well, um, thanks again for coming on, and uh, let, let's keep in touch, man. I, sure. Um, thanks again for having me. Where are you in the? You said you're in the Netherlands. Yes, sir. I'm. Uh, I'm in, Where in the Netherlands? I'm in uh, Rotterdam. Ah, okay. I used to live in Scheveningen when I was a kid. Really? Yeah, my father was on a sabbatical, and we lived there. He was teaching at the University of Delft, and we were living in Scheveningen. Wow, that, that's that's uh, where my. Uh, you can actually say it properly. Because <laughs> I live there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Delft, the university. What kind of what, what did your dad teach? My dad actually was, went to college there. I think he was teaching um, some pretty heavy shit, something like control systems and 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 things like that. For you know, this was in the when I was like I said, it was I was a kid. It was in the mid seventies. Wow. Before that, before that town was actually built up, it looked 
Slavening looked like it was in the 1940s in that time period. It, 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 it really, you know, the, the casino hadn't reopened. It hadn't made it into a big beach resort town at that time. And yeah. It was just, it just looked very old world, like, like, you know, like the scene in The Godfather where Marlon Brando gets shot. Right. And saying, you know, in the fruit stand. It looked like that in like 1975. So. Yeah. Well, Europe yeah. t- took a long time to recover after the Second World War, you know? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. But um, my wife and I, we love going back to, to Amsterdam and Holland and visiting all over Europe. But, I mean, we have a, we have a certain fondness for Amsterdam, obviously. But well, if, you, if you're ever close to us, man, you absolutely. Uh, send me an email, you know, I'll, I'll show you Rotterdam. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. It's a, it's a cool absolutely. city. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's um, – I have so many forum members in Europe that when I go – and I'm anywhere near anybody. I always get, you know, get in touch with them and we try to hook up and stuff. So oh, that's really cool. I, yeah. It, it's one of the best things about a community like that is when you travel, you know, you, you end up being in places where you, you know, you already know people and, you know, you can get together and they'll show you around. And when, when they come to New York, I do the same thing for them. And it's really, uh, that's been one of the most positive aspects of, of having the website is, is like these relationships you build with people over time and then you know it's great when you go to a foreign city and someone's there to you know show you around right take you to the places that are not the touristy places so. yeah well i'm i'm sure i'll be in new york sometimes in the future well i mean it'll, it'll take a while before i'll get on a plane obviously but i think yeah i mean under <laughs> covid we're all we're all we're all constrained by that and like 14 day quarantines and all of this stuff but yeah. uh but yeah if you're ever passing through new york give me a shout cool well um again man thanks i really really enjoyed it and um when when it's all when it's all done i'll uh, i'll be sure to get it to you and uh are, are you gonna post it on the website or on the forum or yeah i'll probably i'll probably do that yeah cool I'll, I'll post i'll post a link to it i'll post it in the um the drg facebook page and stuff and, yeah. nice man cool well again dave thank you and uh hope you have a great weekend man you too take care take care it's a pleasure Likewise, pleasure was all mine. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was a good episode, wasn't it? I'm a big music guy, and I, I learned a lot today. Learned a lot about new albums. I got a good uh, good new list of things to listen to now, and I'm sure you do too, man. That guy knows a lot of stuff about his music. Anyway, be sure to visit Alert, or download Alert, rather, for the iPhone, A-L-L-E-R-T, for food allergies. If you travel with food allergies, this is the app you want to have in your back pocket to help you navigate your food allergy problems abroad. Also, go to Amazon through the link on our website, thepolarizer.com, that's thepolarizer.com, and we'll get a little kickback every time you order something there. And while you're at thepolarizer.com, be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an episode. And go to honor.com, use the promo code POLARIZER to get up to 10% off your order. And what else? What else have we got? We have more sponsors than that, I think, I believe. Or are we already through? No, man, I think that's it. That's it for today, man. It's uh, episode number 30. That's uh, that's pretty cool, man. It's, uh, it's been a ride. It's been quite a ride, especially in these weird times. 
thanks to the internet, still get to talk to some very interesting, cool people, and I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate you all listening to this. It makes it all worthwhile, and uh, all the emails I get, and uh, positive comments, it, uh, you know, helps uh, helps me personally getting through this stuff, and um, yeah, from some of the emails I get from you guys, uh, I get the, get the feeling uh, this podcast also helps you guys through this stuff a little bit, so that's all good. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I appreciate you all, and see you next time. Tot ziens.